time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky thing, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. This is a message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Older adults and people of any age who have serious underlying medical conditions are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. If you are at higher risk, you should stay home as much as possible and avoid close contact with people who are sick to protect yourself. Call your doctor if you have concerns about COVID-19 and your medical condition or if you get sick. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our uh, roundtable regulars, includes uh, on the left flint's premier political pundit paul rosicki paul welcome good morning good to be here and on the right longtime genesee county republican henry hatter joins us as well good morning henry good morning and um i although i did invite someone i never heard back from him in time so we have no third chair today well henry and i will henry and i will we do, will do well you guys will, be, will do well. I, I never worry about the two of you. Um, although it is kind of fun to have different people sit in from time to time, and That's I wouldn't true. be I wouldn't be surprised if we uh, ended up getting a uh, call or two today. That, that could happen. We would love that. I've I've been warned. Um, anyway, uh, moving on, we we usually start uh, start the show with a. Um, with a couple, with a few quotes, and the, the first one is usually one for uh, you to finish, where I ask, how would you finish this quote? And the quote is, voters don't decide issues, they decide what? Uh, how, they decide who decides the issues. 
Yeah. That's that's exactly decide, right. Yeah. That's that's it. That's almost exactly word for word the quote. Uh, the actual quote is: "Voters don't decide issues; they decide who will decide issues." And uh, who do you think um, said mm, that? I don't, it's a good question. I don't know. Well, I don't. Is it an old quote? It's well, it's been around for a little bit, but no, it's fairly contemporary. Oh. Anyway, I Got won't me. leave you hanging. It was George. Yeah, will. I'm just pure, pure guesswork. I don't know. It was George Will. Oh, oh okay. That's yeah. Good. That's like him. That's a good good quote from George Will. Yeah. Um, let's uh, moving on. One of the quotes of the week, and there have been several, but um, one that I picked up on: uh, "We're thankful today and every day for the nurses and firefighters who sacrifice so much to keep our communities safe. We see the very good. best of America in your courage and selflessness." Gretchen Whitmer. That sounds like Gretchen, doesn't it? Uh, it does. On the other hand, did did Trump say something like that within the last week? Actually, he he did say something similar, and and uh, this was uh, actually President-elect Joe Biden. He tweet, oh, okay. He tweeted that he had spent the afternoon of <clears throat> Thanksgiving on video calls with frontline workers. At the same time, President Trump was calling troops. Oh, and okay. I think he said something similar with regard to uh, military service. Hmm. But yeah. is is this yeah. an example of uh, Biden's empathy and compassion? Well, well, I, hope so. I guess I would say I hope so. I mean, I mean, I mean, what's, what's yeah, happened I... is that everybody has kind of said these kind of things about the. Medical care workers and other essential workers so far, so it's it's not a surprising kind of quote. Um, and I, I, I said the one quote I saw was that from some of the medical care workers, they were getting exhausted. They appreciate right. the support, but they're just exhausted from what they've been through for the last nine months or so. Yeah, Henry, what 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 were your thoughts on this? Yeah, and, you know, I believe that uh, for a number of months now, we have been very critical of Joe Biden's and his mental capacity. But I've looked at it with real strength and fear that he had something going on that most people used <clears throat> as arguments for a condemnation, and they missed it. And I believe this is an indication of that kind of strong, cool, quiet confidence that Joe Biden does have. And we must all take a look at our president, whether he's Democrat or Republican, you've got to look at whether he is valuable to the country and whether he will bring about change or, <clears throat> or successes that American people want. Well, some people... And I, and I agree. I was going to say, I agree that this, at this time, that cool, quiet, maybe understated confidence is something we can use an awful lot of after the last four four plus years in some ways you know it's it's interesting and and henry uh brings up how biden has been uh, uh maligned um a, a lot over the course of the campaign and there were a lot of people um really kind of biting their nails when he got the nomination that he wasn't going to spend the whole campaign um doing the the infamous biden gaffes 
And uh, the nature of this campaign kind of got him off the hook on that a little bit. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's that, kind that, of that interesting. Go ahead, go ahead, Henry. I have said from day one, watch out for this guy. We're condemning him, and we don't know him. And I'm a Republican. I'm supposed to be condemning him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there is, uh, yeah. But there is common sense and there's truth in how you assess things. If you assess too many things badly, people will lose confidence in you. Oh, yeah, cool. You make a good point, Henry. That when I look back, I mean, that was you're exactly right. That was a concern that there would be all these Biden gaps in the campaign, and frankly, there really weren't very many. I mean, again, the nature of the campaign, as Tom said, made it a lot easier, but uh, there were no. Yeah, no it was run issues. on such a smaller scale and with a lot less personal contact. Uh, by the candidates. President Trump tried to do, you know, rallies and tried to do things the same way, but it just wasn't allowed in a lot of places. He wasn't able to do as many as I think he would have liked. Right, right. And he made fun of, he made fun of Joe Biden spending the whole campaign in his basement. Yeah, and you know, I was surprised and disappointed by all of the Democrats that condemned Biden for the same reason. You know, it's, uh, and yet, uh, we supported Trump with all of our efforts and finances and everything else, no matter what he did. He, he was good, and we, we saw him as the person who to lead the country. Yeah, I, think, but, uh, I think Democrats... And we condemned uh, Joe Biden for being the guy behind the eight ball. Yeah, and I, for, what, for whatever failings he might have, one thing that's true about him, about Biden, is that he's willing to rely on other people, other expertise. He doesn't presume that he's the expert on medical issues and the economy and foreign policy and everything else. He seems willing to rely on others who, who may have more knowledge and maybe even more energy in a variety of other areas. You know, I, and I'm not, there are many people who are listening right now may think that I'm Henry? Uh, nope. Yeah, hi, Henry. I'll transfer you back in. I think you're back, Henry. Okay, I am. But I was being uh, rather judicious and cautious because once, it, once you start down the wrong path, you could uh, become doomed if nobody straight your path out. And, and, and you know, and, and when we were condemning um, Joe Biden, I was fearful for that, for the president. And uh, when Democrats jumped in and said, yeah, oh Trump, you know, uh, <clears throat> because Trump also, I mean, Joe Biden. Yeah, I, but, think, uh, I, I think a lot of Democrats were afraid that somehow uh, Biden would um, embarrass them or not not really draw in the troops. You heard that in the primaries a lot, and, and even even after the primaries, that, that was a concern. There's no doubt about it. And, and I, I knew who Joe Biden was before he went, because he's the guy that stood up and said, Condoleezza Rice, we will vote for you. 
And remember, Condoleezza Rice was running for Secretary of State. And there were a lot of Democrats who I remember that condemned her. But Joe Biden stood up and said we will support her. And so, you know, I always, uh, you never forget those kind of things. And, uh, and when opportunity comes, pay them back for that, you do. And one thing worth watching, Henry, as, as get into the new administration is whether or not he will be able to reach across the aisle. I mean, he's he certainly had a history of that when he was in the Senate and so forth. And uh, it'll be worth noting whether or not he'll be able to do that in the current climate to reach across the aisle, however the Senate turns out, uh, and, and work with Republicans. I think he will. There are some people that many Republicans have already given up the elections and, and are now moving census. And in fact, this morning I heard Paul Mitchell. It was interviewed by Frank Beckman this morning on JR. Yeah. And he had a lot of good things to say about uh, the new administration uh, and uh, moving ahead. But yet, his Republican replacement doesn't agree with um, his position on that. And she thinks that the, by President Trump should continue fighting for it. But I think uh, the proof is in the pudding now. We're moving into the right, into a new direction. And with, uh, it has so much momentum, it can't be stopped. Yeah, it, it does look like the dominoes are finally falling, with, especially with, with Barr making his statement the other day about the election and, and campaign fraud and so forth. I mean, I, I'm sure there'll be some holdouts for a while. It's still, even then, a very strange and unusual election scenario but well who who was the them. who was the administration official i think he headed up uh cyber security for the election from the white oh, yeah. house oh. that that got fired for saying exactly the same thing and the first thing i thought of when Barr said that was that uh if not this <laughs> week next week we'd be talking about him being fired I, I yeah, I, I had the same very same thought. Uh, yeah, that that uh, I've forgotten his name now. He was on sixty minutes on Sunday, to talking about. Uh, well, Mitch McConnell had some things to say too. They were very biting. He said that this could be an embarrassing exit, something to that order. If you read, do, 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 do you get the feeling that McConnell is kind of, I mean, very hesitantly and very gradually kind of coming around? To, to the, the well, he's got to he's got to think about winning those two seats and yeah, to maintain clearly. dominance. And so and he you know, has the funny to thing. go ahead. Uh, he has to have some kind of establish some kind of balance for that because the country's divided, and he has to try to tip that balance, retain Senate for the Republicans, and you can't do it the way we're doing it now. We have to put you know, a, we have yeah. to put a comma there, but we'll uh, we'll pick it up and continue with armchair politics with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. When we return, if you're listening to us on WFOV ninety two point one FM, our voices radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions, and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break, and. Uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So stay tuned. More armchairs straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com
Van Newman. From Marisha. Bertrand. And the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back to Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program with Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. And uh, we're, we're actually, I think, doing just fine without a third chair today, although it's always nice to have. Welcome back, guys. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, there was another quote that we didn't get to in the last uh, segment. It's, uh, the election is over, the voters have decided, and investigations have repeatedly revealed that we had a safe and secure voting process. Ooh. Who do you think I mean, said that? A lot of possibilities. Is that uh, is that Barr's statement? No, but but uh, I think that was from Michigan. It it was mm-hmm. Henry. It was uh, State Senator Sylvia Santana, a oh, Detroit yeah. Democrat on the Senate Oversight Committee. She said lawmakers' time would have been better spent discussing ways to help the state combat the spread of COVID nineteen. And and we kind of touched on this a little bit in the in the first segment. Um, are there Republicans that are thinking the same thing? Well, if we remove the politics from the COVID issue, Republicans should be thinking the same thing. But when you know when they are taking people who had COVID back in 1919 and who survived over that time to today, and they had COVID then. Uh, they, and when they die, they consider, even though they survived 100 years, they said that was a COVID death. And I know that that's exaggerated, but that's about the tone of it. And that uh, creates some distrust in what people say about in their arguments toward uh, COVID, whether it's a legitimate means of um, expressing a governor's uh, intent and aspirations, uh, it, it becomes doubtful because you can't, you, you have to have some definitions of what COVID deaths are. If people survive it, after they've survived it and then they got the antigen, they no longer are at risk. But those people who've had it, they fold those people back into the statistic, skewing the statistic. And, and uh, that's my problem with it. If we didn't skew it, no problem. I think that we should work with the governor. We should work jointly to uh, solve this problem. What, what do you think, Paul? Definition. Do you think that the uh, that that the numbers are being padded somewhat by what all is included in those uh, statistics? Paul. Oh yeah. I really don't know. I mean, to say it's a worldwide event, and what struck me is that all of a sudden now we're learning that there may have been some COVID incidents as far as last December or even before, which predates even the stuff we heard about that was going on in China. Now, whether it was the same virus or a similar virus kicking around, I really don't know, but it looks like there were certainly incidents of something similar to COVID as early as last December. And I think the first story coming out of China, a very small story, was in late January that mentioned there was some kind of virus there and it didn't really take off February and March. 
but apparently something either either COVID or something very similar was uh, circulating at least a few months before that from current. I guess the, somebody did some studies of some blood samples that people don't, donated blood, and they found you know traces of COVID in that blood as early as December of last year. So it, it may have been around a bit longer than we think. Well, yeah, and but we might answer, Tom. And, and we might You're have right. it wrong about you know patient zero. That's true. Yeah, maybe it was in China. Maybe it was something else, or maybe it started somewhere else in China or somewhere else elsewhere. Again, if it was going around in as early as last December, maybe the initial story we heard about it may not be totally accurate. Again, at this point, we really don't know. But to your answer, Tom, you're exactly right. I'm sorry. To your answer, you're exactly right. Republicans and Democrats should seize the opportunity to work together to solve this, or they're not doing their job. But, I mean, the bottom line is there's there's no doubt, It's however you, you, you crunch the numbers, there's no doubt it's extremely serious. I mean, there's an awful lot of people that uh, are getting very ill and dying, and, I mean, uh, even well-known people and uh, nationwide. So it's clearly a serious crisis, however you crunch the numbers. Uh, True. So I, well, I agree with both of you guys. Uh, you know, I think that we, and I've said that all the time, when we have a crisis, they did a very good job in solving the funding crisis for schools. And then they broke apart. They can't put two nickels together to make a dime now. Well, and, and speaking of uh, crunching numbers, if the Flint City Council doesn't approve a $20 million settlement proposal for water crisis lawsuits, residents could end up paying to defend the city in court through a special tax on property owners. Uh, Mayor Sheldon Neely uh, issued that warning when he told uh, M Live, the Flint Journal, on November 30th that the proposed settlement, which would be completely paid by a city insurance carrier, is the best opportunity for shedding millions of dollars of potential liability and attorney fees with the least amount of pain. Um, do you think the council will or should pass this? What's the, what's the opposite? What's the, what's the opposing? Uh, well, well here's, if you don't. Um, I, I think there's a good point, Henry. I, I mean, I, well, one, I think one risk is that if we don't, I mean, could the city itself face bankruptcy of some kind, similar to what Detroit faced? I don't know. But the, the, the consequences could be astonishing, could, could be huge. See, we haven't had the chance to do a study yet, so we don't. We're we're kind of yeah. See, this, in the dark. The, yeah. the city, uh, according to Mayor Neely, um, has the opportunity, and and has negotiated with its insurance company to make a twenty million dollar settlement to avoid future lawsuits against the city. Future lawsuits. And if the um, if the city, if the city council doesn't approve this particular settlement, then the insurance company backs out of its commitment, and the city is wide open for could be tens yeah. of millions of dollars in lawsuits. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that. They, I can see the risk there. And those could drag out for many years well and you're right and this is what we've been talking about the last two or three years is to get this, these things behind us so that we can renew our commitment to 
continue to make a great city uh, with uh, jobs available for everybody who live here and safe for everybody and stuff like that. But with these constant lawsuits and division, we can't move ahead. We've got to bring this to a resolution, start over. And, and given the city's, you know, often shaky financial situation anyhow, again, I, I can see if, if we got in the situation where we had years of love, huge lawsuits on the water issue, and I can imagine them, I, I can see, again, some some terrific implications, and including possible bankruptcy for the city. Um, that's, I wouldn't, wouldn't, really, wouldn't rule that out if it went to that, to that extent. See, when I first saw this story, I thought where you know, with, that the city um, had committed to a $20 million settlement. I thought, where is the city going to get $20 million? Well, that, this story... That's also a good point, yeah. Well, this, yeah. this uh, insurance company... <sighs> stepping up uh, because the insurance company would be liable for some if not all of those uh, those lawsuits um, if they're willing to put the 20 million up as a settlement um, then that's where the city gets the money yeah is from the yeah. insurance company well I think I'd go along with uh, Neely's proposal and you may be the best of yeah, I, 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 I agree, Henry. It may be the best of a bad deal. I mean, you can always say, well, yeah, it's not enough, and maybe nothing is enough to undo the damage in some ways. But the implications of going the other route could be even worse, uh, not only in terms of water, but every other kind of city service uh, down the road. And, and besides, um, this will help us to uh, diminish the amount of distrust because some things will be that's driving this. This, these lawsuits are distraught. Yeah. And, and if we, we need to bring that to a head and let the old people die off and the new, new people rise, and they won't remember anything about this, not much. And we can start a whole new epoch of, uh, for a city that's had everything for its people. It'll be worth, worth seeing what, uh, what Mayor Neely says in his State of the City address. I believe it's next Tuesday, I think. Right. Uh, well, and, and you're, you're actually uh, getting a little ahead of me there, Paul, because I was just, just going to bring up the Genesee County Election Commission has rejected proposed petition language to recall Flint Mayor Sheldon Neely. The man who filed the recall language, however, says he will continue to come back with new wording until it is approved by the three-member panel. The commission turned down the proposed language by a 3-0 to zero vote Tuesday. Um, saying it was unclear in ending the attempted recall before it could start. It doesn't say in what way Neely violated the Flint City Charter, according to Genesee County Chief Probate Judge Jenny Barkey, chairwoman of the commission. Community activist Arthur Woodson sought the recall of Neely for failing to make a state-of-the-city address to the city council and the public at large at least once a year as required by the city charter. While Archie Heyman, an attorney for the mayor, argued that Neely still has time to deliver the address within the calendar year, which he has scheduled for next Tuesday, as Paul mentioned. Woodson contended the clock counting down the 12 months actually began after Neely was sworn into office on November 11th of 2019. 
Heyman said the mayor plans to deliver a State of the City address on December 8th and called the recall attempt premature. Do you think a recall of Mayor Neely is really in order? <laughs> no. <laughs> Again, even even if, I mean, I'd have to go back and read the exact wording of the charter about whether it's got to be within a year of his swearing in. Or hey, I know the, where you can. Uh, I, I know where you can get it on on CD. <laughs> I yeah. saw your posting of that. That's right. It'd be a great Christmas gift for people. <laughs> Some people, for sure. No, I, go ahead. No, Henry, I don't I'm think sorry. it. I don't think it's a. It's a. Yeah, it's I mean, a it's, it's, it's a tr- effort to recall Neely. We, yeah, we're going to bring the city together. You know, you got two leaders, Woodson. You got uh, Neely. And they need to come together, although the mayor has the upper hand. He is the people's choice. You know, given the number Uh, of things that have been postponed because of the pandemic, this this seems like, you know, really kind of unfair to, you know, say, well, he didn't give his statement. I think think Mayor Neely would have been happy to get up in— March or April or May, and you know, give an address to the city. You know, a, a first state of the city address. Um, but all of that stuff took a back seat to trying to COVID. continue to function with uh, COVID. Sure, and the loss and, of and say, even, like even even if technically he is a week, a few weeks late, and that may be debatable. But even if it's true. I don't see it as grounds for a recall. No. I, I mean, they're they're postponing the Olympics. That's right, among among all kind of other things. Almost. But we need event. we we need leaders out there to help put the city together, not yeah. to condemn it. Right now, it's a, we're in a rough time. It's on its last Well, you, you know, the, the, this is knees. the point I made before. Is we often overuse this recall thing. For any time somebody looks at your cross-eyed, somebody wants to recall you. I mean, clearly there are times if somebody makes a, violates the law or commits a felony or does some other egregious act, maybe recalls are justified. But so often, as I say, if you disagree with somebody on a vote or you disagree with them on, on one issue or another, somebody will run off and try and recall an individual. I, and it really, I think in the long run, it's not good for democracy. No. It's, it's not good for uh, the sentiment of the people either, because people at times get tired of strife and stress and struggle, and they want to see some 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 pathway that lead to a future where that is non-existent. Yeah, remember we used to teach that David Davenport who tried to recall almost everybody in the county at one point. And sometimes I think that that, uh, that habit gets picked up by others around the area. Where it's, it's a way of getting attention to your cause, but it, it rarely accomplishes much. Um, Recalls are effective, though, because they scare the heck out of the person who is the target. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. I'm just trying to think in terms of, of them to your Flint mayors. I'm thinking back at the last several Flint mayors. Has everyone since Stanley at least faced a re- an attempted recall of some kind? Well, Stanley was removed by recall, and yeah, that was yeah, the but, first uh, one that I'm really familiar with, with as far as recall. Well, now, I know Mayor Weaver faced a recall, and she survived it rather well. 
Um, uh, I, no. I can't remember if Dane Walling ever faced a recall. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I can't recall that either. His I mean, predecessor, Don Williamson, c- certainly did. Yeah. Don Williamson did. Um, not sure about That's Dane right. Walling, but as you pointed out, uh, Mayor Weaver certainly did. So it's become almost a, a conventional habit in Flint to, to try and recall the mayor, but in the end, I'm not sure it accomplishes much. Yeah, I, I remember Dane Walling was had the recall language out against him, and I went to one of the fundraisers so, on Miller Road, so I, I supported uh, his effort there to retain his seat. Yeah, so some of those recalls may not have actually gotten to a vote. Maybe somebody talked about it or passed around a petition for a while. No, I think so, uh, Woodrow Stanley and uh, Karen Weaver are the only two where it actually made it to a ballot. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, of course, uh, at the time, uh, Mayor Stanley lost that election. And then, um, as you pointed out, Paul, Karen Weaver handily survived the recall against her. In fact, I think she came out of the recall almost stronger than she went in, having, I think she got 50% plus of the votes. To retain her with a large field running against her. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I do recall I supported the efforts of both of those candidates who were named as to be recalled, both Stanley and Weaver. I was part in their camp. I don't know whether they appreciated that or not, but I was rooting for them, and with my money too. Well, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I think. Uh, Oh, I think um, the mayor's uh, attorney, Heyman, is uh, right when he says this is really premature. And and I think he was talking about specifically, you know, making it about the state of the city address. Yeah, say, but even if technically he's a couple of weeks late, I don't think he has grounds for a recall. During the pandemic, there's a good reason to be a few weeks late on that. Uh, and it may not be a violation. Again, I'd, I'd have to look at the exact phrasing about whether it's got to be during the calendar year or it's a year since you were sworn in to give the state of the city address. But you bottom line is you've got to do gov- it next week. You've got to remember that the governor had restrictions on meetings larger than 10 people. Well, I, I think the override. state of the city is going to be virtual anyhow on next Tuesday. I think yeah, that, be, that's okay, but there was still... Yeah. I don't know how it was organized, but I want to remind you that the governor had that order out there, no no meetings larger than 10 people. And that required some kind of uh, uh, study to put all that together. And with all of the other things going on with the city, I don't know whether that was possible. It was easier to follow the governor's orders. Yeah, You can always yeah. use that. An excuse. Well, Paul, you think as 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 much as we've been through the uh, the new charter, um, having recorded the uh, the audio version. That's and, right. And the several times that we went through it with members of the uh, uh, charter commission. That that we would know 
<laughs> you know, I'm, as we're talking, I'm sitting here at my desk, and I'm just trying to see if I've got a copy of it laying around here. Because I, I say I'm, I'm not quite sure what the exact phrasing of it is, whether it says calendar year or year since inauguration or what. So, and I'm not seeing a candy copy right in front of me at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to look it up elsewhere. But, uh, but as I say, I, I'm, I, I, bottom line is I would I wouldn't make a big deal about uh, if it's a couple of weeks later and supposed to be. That's not a big deal, and it might not, that might not even be the case. And push comes to shove. I agree. Let's see here. No, I got the I got the copy of the old shooter on my desk here, but I don't I don't see the new one in my files here right now. I've got the new one here, but I'm not able to access it quickly enough. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm in the same situation. You know the, the but, again, but again, I I I I don't, and and I think even if it by any chance went to a vote, I don't see it going anywhere, and, uh, and it would be just a diversion of resources to have to to mess around with that at this point. I agree, and we don't, and the city does not have the money to do that. <laughs> right, to, they could do so many other things with the money that they would use for a recall. Yeah, yeah. Unless the the claim, the person who brings the claim, uh, provide the money. You know, a while back, the state we, we used to. I, I used to say in class that uh, you, before we changed the law a few years back, that you couldn't go a month without seeing a re attempted recall of somebody in Genesee County, whether it was a school board <laughs> member or a township official or a yeah. county clerk or something, because somebody had voted the wrong way or made a motion on the wrong, some issue you didn't happen to like. And then we tightened it up a little bit, and they got to be a bit fewer. But even then, we still, more than most other states, tend to overuse the recall uh, much more than most other states do. So so I, I think the commission made a wise choice in, in, in putting it on the back burner. And our Woodson may want to decide to pursue some other causes. Well, I'm still trying to trying to look that up. I think maybe I'll uh, have the time during the next break, and maybe we can uh, revisit this in the in the next segment. Yeah, I'll, I'll take a closer look at it. I got a bunch of stuff here. I'll see if I got the current charter around. Well, I've got it sitting right here. It's just going to take me some time to thumb to the right page, but uh, yeah, well, I remember I remember those books you had when we when we did the the, the charter reading. You had all those, those notebooks. But the full charter there. Right. Well, and for people who are interested, I'll go ahead and do another plug for it. We have it available yeah. on CD, read by uh, Terry Bankert and um, Charles Winfrey and uh, Paul and I. And uh, we went through and read the entire charter, and it's on a three-CD set. And anybody that wants to get a copy of that or purchase a copy of that can... Uh, contact me privately on Facebook or by email or whatever and uh, I can give you all the particulars uh, a, a great stocking stuff for someone who has everything yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um, anyway we, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more armchair politics right after this 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. We want to say hello. We want to see you smile. We'd like to sing some good old Christmas songs. With songs about Osetta and his reindeer sleigh. And gee, I just can't wait until it's Christmas Day. We're gonna set you wise. We love to harmonize. And if we had our way, we'd never stop. We'll say hello. We'll see you smile. And we'll sing some good old Christmas songs. We'll say hello. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom Bodette from Manger 6. We know you've been traveling a lot this holiday season, and you've probably been told there's no room at the inn. Well, that's just not the case here at Manger 6. Why, for just 29 drachma, we'll put you up in a warm, comfortable stable with plenty of fresh milk for the newborn. There's even individual stalls for your mules, camels, or whatever you happen to be driving across the desert. 
And in case unexpected visitors decide to drop in on you, shepherds, wise men, holy ghosts, it's not a problem at Manger 6. There's plenty of frankincense and myrrh to go around. This is Tom Bodet from Manger 6 reminding you, there's always room at this inn. We'll even leave a star out for you. Welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. I'm Tom Sumner. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about uh, the recall language that got turned down by the, um, what is it, the Elections Commission? Yeah, I, I, I just pulled up the, the, the charter here right away. I, I, go ahead. <clears throat> Um, yeah, it, I think it's. I'm, I'm trying to think what the uh, what the commission is called. Uh, yeah, the oh, Genesee um, County Election Commission shot that uh, down, and we were talking about the the whole thing was about the fact that the mayor has gone just a couple of weeks beyond a year and has not given an annual state of the city address, and that was at the heart of. Uh, the the reason for the recall yeah I, I just pulled up the charter online here and on page 41 and it's really not crystal clear that the phrasing is uh in terms of duties of the mayor at least once a year the mayor shall present at the state present at the state of the city address to the city council and the public at large so it says once a year now does that mean calendar year or does that mean since he's been sworn in uh it's Probably not. I'm not sure how you how a judge would interpret that phrase, but that appears to be the only clear reference that I've seen so far to the state of the city address. It doesn't limit it as specifically as dates are limited in the Constitution or established. Yeah, no later just than the second Tuesday of the first Monday of December. You know, no, those are so dates whether... that cannot be changed. They're hardcore. So this says that you just have to meet one day a year to do this. But well, first I'll call Henry Hatter and find out what day that should be. It doesn't yeah. do that. Well, it's and, and the Constitution, very generally. the U.S. Constitution, um, only specifies that the, the president shall from time to time. Yeah, that's right. Report, yeah. you know, on those things. <clears throat> it's, it's only out of uh, practice and tradition that there is a state of the union once a year. And actually, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be a speech. I mean, many earlier presidents just submitted a document in writing to the Congress, and it was no big deal. It was, it was more <clears throat> when we got into the, uh, the, the radio and television age that the, the state of the union message became kind of a, a big media event. But before that time... It, it, many presidents just sent a, a document or a letter of some kind summarizing what the state of the, the union was, and that's all there was to it. But the, today, um, the dates that are chosen are elected by practice, by what we do typically. 
Yeah. But that doesn't yeah. say that that has to be the order. He could decide to do that January, uh, July 1st, 2021. That's true. Once yeah. a year. And that's up to yeah. his discretion. Yeah, like I say, the phrase the phrasing of the city charter does does not say whether it's calendar year or year a year since since the uh, the swearing in. <clears throat> so if he does it once in 2020, that may well satisfy the 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 definition of the of the charter, um, even if it is a little bit past a year from his swearing in. Well, let's move on to some uh, some state things. Um, COVID-19 continues to spread throughout Michigan and the United States, and with the Thanksgiving holiday over, experts are worried cases are going to surge even more. The state legislature is going to be back in session now for uh, the final few weeks of the year, um, and the question on everybody's mind right now is, will they have some sort of a comprehensive strategy or plan to combat the COVID-19 pandemic? Um Will they, or should I ask, when will they? Mm. I think it's already been established, according to to the Today Show. And that starts as early as next Monday. Or maybe that's in the U.K. But the United States is going to follow whatever the U.K. That's my impression of what I heard. Mm. And uh, But there are a lot of people that aren't sure whether they take it, even if they give it to them they would rather die first well this uh, is so this is the state legislature which sued the governor to include them more in decisions made about how to address the pandemic and now they're going to be back in session soon for the last few weeks of the year um, now that they've put the spotlight back on them to come up with things, you know, whether or not we should close schools, what, you know, all of these things. Right. Are are they are they going to come forward with something? They they that, wanted... you know, that, that request may be a double edged sword for the legislature. I mean, they 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 beat up on the governor, but then they said, okay, now now you're uh, you're on deck, and now what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah, there exactly. Really are going to be some. <laughs> they wanted to be really included, you know. So now they're included. What are they going to do? Right. Right. Uh, it's it's easy to complain when you're not part of the decision-making process, but now when you're part of it, whatever decision you make, somebody's going to be unhappy. There's no doubt about it. But there's going to be some hard choices to be made, I think, in the next month or, or two, uh, particularly as we get past Thanksgiving and Christmas and look at what could be a, an even greater surge and more I, pressure on hospitals I, and all the rest. And I think, ironically, what they're going to end up doing, basically, is granting the governor the right legislatively <laughs> to continue doing what she's been doing. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. And, yeah. I, you that's know, a, it, it seems a, a good little, way to go. Well, I think that's what's going to end up happening, and, and it's going to make the whole fight over what authority and power she had is is going to be really moot when the legislature says, well, you know, we just wanted it to be our decision. <laughs> 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 but it's your call, Governor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. We'll let you know if we don't like what you're doing. Um, yeah. Well, outgoing U.S. Representative Paul Mitchell, you mentioned this uh, earlier. Uh, Republican from Dryden is among a handful of Republicans asking President Donald Trump to stop alleging 
fraud caused him to lose the 2020 election. Mitchell, who did not run for re-election to a third term this year, represents a staunchly pro-Trump district in Michigan's Thumb region. The retiring congressman made several statements since the November 3rd election asking Trump to stop spreading conspiracy theories for the sake of our nation and criticized Republican leaders for undermining the election result without evidence. Is it becoming easier for, or or let me put it this way, is it easier for outgoing Republicans to make this case, and is it effective? Well, I think you have to have people like that, some people who see the road ahead of them. They don't see the fork, but they see the road, And, um, and they can stand up and say, this is the way I think that we ought to go straight ahead. And I think it's true. If, if you're if you're if you're, you're leaving your office and you're, you're an outgoing official, it is probably a bit easier because you know you're going to get a flack from Trump and tweets and all that. Yeah. But I, I wonder here too, even for those who are still in office, I mean, how much of those tweets going to matter in six months? I mean, yeah, now they can be a problem, and I know there were 74 million voters yeah. and all that, but still. Even among the Republican Party, I really wonder how much that's going to be, how big a factor it's going to be six months from now. I, again, I well, don't know, you know the over time, over time, things change. Uh, like and the shapers of the Constitution, uh, they thought differently about uh, the workings of the government than we do today. Today, we want to change directions, and uh, the Constitution allows for that. You know, they can vote in a person so socialistic that he can become president and so on and so forth. So um, I don't think uh, I don't think that this is going to be a problem. I hope not. I, I mean, I, my, my main worry over the whole election thing is not so much Trump or himself, but the, the just the underlying distrust that it may sow in the whole yeah. American electorate about election processes and really trust in the government in a larger sense, too. That may be, may be much more damaging than any particular single policy that Trump has had or any other single event. And it may be, and that lack of distrust, lack of trust has been a, a long-standing thing that's gone on for decades. I mean, if you go back to the 1960s, you can find that the great majority of the American public had, you know, thought that the the national government would do the right thing most of the time. And let's say 1964 or 65. But it's generally gone down since that time. And all this controversy about the election certainly doesn't help rebuild any of that trust either. And, and you know, in another four years, there will be so many issues on the platform that we'll forget about these issues back in 2020. They have become footnotes. You know, speaking of how issues change, it's amazing. When you look back at this past year, at how many issues that seem so big, whether it's the Mueller report or the impeachment or various other things that seem so enormous for a week or two or a month or so, and all of a sudden now they seem like ancient history. Um, yes. It, it's hard to, hard to find, except for the pandemic, I suppose, uh, and maybe the economic well, I think in in some cases it's it's really kind of unfortunate that the pandemic has overshadowed some of those things, like the discussion we were having about institutional racism, 
and yeah. there there were a number of things that came up this year and you're right paul it seems like a long time ago when it was really just a few months we have to break here for top of the hour uh ID, but we're going to uh, continue with the second half of Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, uh, in just a couple of moments. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 